Thank you, Seth, very much. It's good to have you back, brother. We're going to be in Judges 6. We're going to be reading verses 28 through 35 will be the focus of the sermon this morning. Follow along as I read to you. When the men of the town rose early in the morning, behold, the altar of Baal was broken down, and the Asherah beside it was cut down. And the second bull was offered on the altar that had been built. And they said to one another, Who has done this thing? And after they had searched and inquired, they said, Gideon, the son of Joash, has done this thing. Then the men of the town said to Joash, Bring out your son that he may die, for he has broken down the altar of Baal and cut down the Asherah beside it. But Joash said to all who stood against him, Will you contend for Baal, or will you save him? Whoever contends for him shall be put to death by morning. If he's a god, let him contend for himself, because his altar has been broken down. Therefore, therefore on that day, Gideon was called Jerubbaal. That is to say, let Baal contend against him, because he broke down his altar. Now all the Midianites and the Amalekites and the people of the east came together, and they crossed the Jordan and encamped in the valley of Jezreel. But the Spirit of the Lord clothed Gideon, and he sounded the trumpet, and the Abizrites were called out to follow him, and he sent messengers throughout all Manasseh, and they too called out to follow him. And he sent messengers to Asher, Zebulun, and Naphtali, and they went up to meet them. This is the word of God. You can be seated. Thank you again for coming. Welcome to worship at Christ Fellowship this morning. Very glad to have you. Let's start with prayer. Father, we would all admit in this room that we need your help for many things this morning. Lord, number one, we need your help to focus, to be all here this morning. Lord, we have all come from different things and different stresses. Father, I pray that you would help us to focus on you, focus on your word, rest our souls, rest our hearts, rest our minds in this place this morning, please. Secondly, Lord, I pray for help and that you would please cause our hearts to be receptive to your word this morning, to be receptive to your voice. Please, Lord, speak to us. And then thirdly, Lord, help us in this area. Help us to walk in obedience to what the word of God says, to the principles commands we find in the word to the promptings of the heart you give us this morning help us to walk in obedience to them please and i pray it in jesus name amen judges 6 28 through 35 we are still on the judge named gideon this will actually be the third message we have about him and i've titled the message this morning obedience the good and the bad Obedience, the good and the bad. Do we have the slide for that? There we go. I want you guys to have an image in your head because I'm not necessarily talking about that there are good and bad forms of obedience. I'm talking about the results of our obedience can be good and the results can also be bad. And we'll talk more about that in a moment. Well, let's start out talking about Gideon's obedience, though, because that's how our section starts out. Uh, verse 28, we see, when the men of the town rose early in the morning, behold, the altar of the Baal was broken down, and the, and the Asherah beside it was cut down, and the second bull was offered on the altar that was built. 
Now, this is a a direct result of what we just read from last week. Remember, this this is a long section. These are not just standalone portions. These are all continuations of one long section that's been building on top of itself. We see Gideon obeyed everything that he was commanded to do in verses 25 and 26. If you look back there, you'll see that. The author makes a point to mention every action he fulfilled. Did you pick up on that? I mean, it would have still made his point just fine had the author simply said, and Gideon obeyed the Lord. Wouldn't it? It would have been faster. (laughs) Would have been more efficient. Would have used less ink, less time. Would have still made the point just fine. However, he takes time to let us know that every point was obeyed. It seems unnecessarily repetitive, but it's actually very important. The extra reading, the repetition of each part focuses us. It makes us take time to think about each thing that Gideon had to do to fully obey the Lord. Because, and yes, I'm going to keep repeating this, we know that Partial obedience is no obedience. And so, it's very important. It's very important that Gideon fully obeyed everything that was here. Listen to what Matthew Henry said concerning Gideon here. He said this, He that was to command the Israel of God must be subject to God of Israel. He who was to command the Israel of God must be subject to the God of Israel without disputing and as a type of Christ must first save his people from their sins and then save them from their enemies. I thought that was very good. He shows that it's very important to be fully subject to God for a few different reasons. One of them being that Gideon here stands as a a type of Christ or something we can draw about Christ from Gideon's actions, just like the purging of the sin was the first step, like Jesus came to save his people from their sins. After this, we then get the responses to Gideon's acts, to Gideon's obedience to the Lord. We get some responses in our text, and it's mixed. It's very mixed. Verses 29 and 30 give us the responses of the men of the town, which is negative. I would just, I mean, I would just say people saying, bring him out so that we can kill him. That's negative. I'd call that a negative. Verses 33 and 35 give us the response of God upon Gideon, which is very positive. Between those two things, however, we have this interjection of Gideon's father uh, coming to the rescue of his son. Uh, which we find in verses 31 and 32. We'll talk more about that later. But let's first look at the negative responses to Gideon's obedience and draw some things from them because there's a lot to take away from this. Please listen closely. I want to make this point to begin with. You can expect men to berate you when you walk in obedience to God. Okay? You can expect men to berate you when you walk in obedience to God. Children, that word berate means like scoff at you, um, criticize you. That's what that means. 
We can expect that. Why do I say that? Because obeying God goes against these three things. It goes against the worldly system. Obedience to God goes against the worldly system. Obedience to God goes against the impulses of our flesh. And thirdly, it goes against the lies of Satan. Those three things. Obedience to God always flies in the face of those three things. Unsaved man is controlled by those three things, all three of them. And so we often get a negative response from man when we follow God. We just do. For some proof of that, let's look at verses 29 and 30. The people say, who's done this thing? Bring him out. We may kill him. I want you to take note of this. Notice how zealous they are for justice. When the image of their false gods have been defaced, have been destroyed, have been dishonored. Look at the zeal. Look at the passion to dish out what they believe to be appropriate justice. They cry out, who has done this thing? It's like, a, it's like some unspeakable act. This thing. Who's done this thing, they say. They cry out for the death of the one who did it. Bring out your son that he may die. A reversal, a flippening has happened in their hearts. And it's the reversal that happens every time we get drawn away from the truth. Every time we get drawn away from the truth, there's a reversal in our heart concerning the word of God. It's very clear to see. I have probably seen it more clearly than maybe some of you um, simply because I've been in counseling sessions or I've just been witnessing on the street with people or I've seen people who were once proclaiming to be Christians and then they go off into the world. It's my responsibility to go to them and say, hey, what's going on? Then to get the bomb dropped that, you know what? Forget Jesus, forget the Bible, I'm done with all that. There is a reversal toward the Word of God when our hearts get drawn away from it and towards the world. It's just this flippening that happens. You see, according to the law of God, it was the idol worshipers who were actually supposed to be put to death. Deuteronomy 13 Six through nine condemns the one who would entice his neighbor, his relative, anyone who would try to draw that person away from worshiping the one true God to worshiping idols. There's actually a command that says, even if it's your own mother, your brother, even if it's your own dear son who's enticing you away from the one true God to worship idols, capital punishment. So it's do you see how reversed it is here? Gideon breaks down idols and builds an altar to the one true God. And they say, he's worthy of death. It's the exact opposite of what's supposed to be happening. And when the world, the flesh, the devil have their way in our hearts, you will always see the same thing. People going exactly 180 away from what this book says. I've seen it so many times. 
If only these people, if only this mob, these Israelites, if only they'd ever been this zealous for the honor and reputation of the one true God. If only they'd ever been so in love with the God of Israel and his glory that they would diligently seek and diligently root out the sin in their midst as diligently as they looked for who did this. It says that they looked, they took effort searching and inquiring about who did this. They wouldn't have to go far probably. Gideon, we're told, had 10 men to help him, so word spread, I'm sure. But they were invested in finding the culprit who shamed Baal. Would that they had ever been that zealous for God's glory, right? This generation, how the Lord must have felt seeing these people so zealous for the honor of man-made false gods having never seen that zeal for him, the one who actually chose them among all the peoples of the earth, the one who blessed them, the one who prospered them, the one who made promises to them, the wonderful promise, the one he gave them his holy word and inspired holy men from their number to write scripture and delivered them also from Egypt. He was the one who did that. And he'd never seen the people of this generation, at least, that zealous for his honor. Why is it that man, why is it that man will fight tooth and nail when you badmouth his idols, but not fight for the honor of the true God he claims to belong to? Notice I say claims to belong to. There are people who truly belong to the one who, true God, who stand up boldly for him. Absolutely. I'm not throwing everyone under the bus here. But there are people who will fight you tooth and nail for their idols while also claiming to follow the one true God. Men will contend and argue over their favorite bands. Men will fight and contend and um, fight you over their favorite politician or their favorite sports team when their names are dishonored. But when God's name is blasphemed among men, they remain silent. I've just... I've been to far too many funerals where I've heard just how much the man in that coffin loved the Crimson Tide or loved the University of Auburn and nothing was said about how much he loved Jesus. These Jews had forgotten who they belonged to. Their idols had blinded their minds and their idols had hardened their hearts to the truth and God raised up Gideon to deliver them from these horrible things, yet they somehow thought that he was the one they needed to be delivered from. I've been the object of hatred and scorn, as you will be too, when trying to rescue someone from his or her sins. I've been the object of that hatred. I know it's not really against me ultimately, it's, true. it's actually against who I represent. But I am lovingly in trying to give someone truth that will set them free. And they see me as the one they need to be set free from. And it's really because of who I represent, the Lord Jesus Christ. And I know that. Okay, I know that. 
But this is exactly what's happening here with Gideon. God raises up Gideon to deliver them, and they saw him as someone they needed to be delivered from. And why was that? Well, because false gods and idols of the world always have the deceptive tongue of the wicked one behind them. Idols, false gods, always have the deceptive tongue of the wicked one behind them. And he is a silver tongue. He is really good at what he does. These things always twist the truth. They always twist the truth. And they always cause men to hate the truth. Show me someone who hates the word of God, and I'll show you someone who's worshiping a false god, even if that false god is the false god of self. And that's usually what it boils down to, at least in our culture. The prophet Isaiah said, Woe to those who call good evil and evil good. So this is nothing new to our day. This has been happening back in Gideon's day. This is happening um, roughly 700 years before Christ even came on the scene. That's when Isaiah wrote. This deception's been going on for a long time. Men who call good evil and evil good. Because we see that in our day totally, don't we? Men calling good evil and evil good. Just turn on any news media. What does that mean, woe to those who call good evil and evil good? A woe is a curse. A woe is just the opposite of a blessing. There's blessings and there's woes. You know, Jesus says, blessed are you, blessed, blessed, blessed. And then he says, woe to you, woe to you, woe to you. That's just curse. It means may a curse be upon you. That's what it means. May they be cursed. Those who call evil good and good evil show that they're under the curse. So after this negative and and bloodthirsty demand comes out from these people's mouths, uh, demanding that Gideon's father bring out your son, Gideon's father uses some, some logic that might show, might, we don't know, but it might show that Gideon's father wasn't as committed to Baal as he seemed to be. Yes, he had the statues right in front of his house. But why would he say this? I'm just wondering why he would say this. Love for son, perhaps. That's, that's very strong. Love for saving your children can sometimes override other things. So maybe it's that. We don't know. But look at verses 30 through 32. The men in the town said to Joash, that's Gideon's father, bring out your son that he may die, for he's broken down the altar of Baal. Cut down the Asherah. Joash said to all those who stood against him, Will you contend for Baal? Will you save him? Whoever contends for him shall be put to death by morning. I don't know, maybe Joash had some pull in the town or something, because that's a, that's, a, that's, a, that's a strong statement. Whoever contends for him, you're going to be dead in the morning. You're going to be put to death. Don't know why he's saying that, but he says this. He goes on to say, if he's a god, let him contend for himself. Because his altar has been broken down. Okay. This is also, we're told, that how he gets his name, Jeru Baal, which we'll talk more about in just a second. But it's good logic on the part of the father here, I think, because his point essentially is this. If, if Baal's really a god, then he's got more power than any of you, is what dad is saying here. Therefore, why should you men have to fight to avenge his honor. If he's a god, 
isn't he strong enough to fight for himself? So why don't you guys back off and let this God here fight for his own honor? That's the point. Does it show that Joash has some doubts about the reality of Baal? Or that Baal actually had any power over him? Maybe. We can't speculate too much. Either way, though, either way, this is the historical narrative letting us know how Gideon gets his name, Jerubbaal, which will get used 13 more times throughout, 12 times in the rest of the book, and once even in the book of 1 Samuel. So this is also important because it gives us the historical backdrop to how did he get this name that he's going to get called a lot in the rest of the Bible. The world will often give you derogatory nicknames when you stand up for the truth. You've heard of D.L. Moody. Uh, D.L. Moody was given the name Crazy Moody when he was building his uh, Sunday school in uh, Chicago. Charles Spurgeon was often um, drawn out, characterized in unflattering ways in the British press for being who he was. Um, I remember living in Belize when we were missionaries, actually, and hearing a man in the hardware store just rail against these Jesus lovers. That's what he said. Let's, let's wear these names as a medal. Let's wear Bible thumper, uh, Jesus freak, holier than thou. Wear them as a medal because it means you are unliked by the world. <laughs> and if you're unliked by the sinful world system, that's not bad. Jesus said, woe to you when all men speak well of you. If everybody likes you, everybody on planet earth thinks everything you do is good and right. Everything you say is good and right. We agree with you on everything. You're doing something very wrong, according to Jesus. Woe to you. Remember the woe? A curse? May a curse be upon you when all men speak well of you. Do not, if you're not a Christian yet, let me tell you something. Do not come to Jesus if you want to be liked by everybody on planet earth. Just don't. Don't be a Christian. This is not for you. Keep loving your sin and your reputation more. Okay? So this is not for you. This is about us loving someone else enough because of what he did for me and taking the punishment that I should have taken down to every horrible last second of eternity burning in flames. It should all be mine. He took it for me and died under the wrath of Almighty God, a heavy hand, dishing out all the punishment for every single sin of everyone who would ever believe from righteous Abel to whoever's going to believe who knows how long from now, all of them. And he drank it all down. This Christianity is about us loving that man that much 
that we don't care about what anybody else thinks of us. We would rather have every man hate us and have Jesus love us than have Jesus be displeased with us, but every man love us. So if you're not ready for that, do not come to Jesus. If you love your sin and your reputation more, don't. But I will tell you this, your love for your sin and your love for your reputation will drag you down to hell. And I'm saying that because I care enough about you to tell you the truth. Charles Spurgeon said, your best friend is the person who tells you the most truth. Concerning given a name that recounts when Gideon was standing against Baal, these names that we often get given for standing up for the truth, Jesus said, blessed are you. We talked about woes, here's some blessings. Matthew 5, 11 and 12, blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad for your reward is great in heaven for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. This is nothing new. The prophets all went through this too, Jesus is saying. It's nothing new. Join the persecution club. Everyone who lives a godly life in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution, Jesus said. Well, verse 33 lets us know that now the annual raid was underway when it comes to these enemies of God. You might recall that from verses 3 and 4 of this chapter. Remember, I told you this is just one long narrative. We're just walking through it piece by piece. Verses 3 and 4 of this chapter told us, whenever the Israelites planted crops, the Midianites and the Amalekites of the people of the east would come up against them, they would encamp against them, devour their produce of the land as far as Gaza, and leave no sustenance in Israel, no sheep or ox or donkey. They would raid them. I mean, down to the last bit of grain, took all their animals. It was horrible. The people had to go live in caves to try to run away and hide. They would swarm upon them like a swarm of locusts. And when they left, the land was empty. I've read that it was roughly about 130,000, 130,000 in number who would descend on these people. Um when we were missionaries in Belize. Belize has one of the smallest populations of any country on planet Earth. It's a very small country anyway. It's about one-fourth the size of Alabama. But it didn't have a lot of people. It had a little over 300,000 people in that country. But this is, a, this is like a third of all the people in that country coming up as an army, if these numbers that I studied are accurate. And they would descend upon the people of Israel. So... Uh, Verse 33 lets us know that uh, this is now coming upon the people. Look what it says there. Let me find it now. All the Midianites and the Amalekites, so the people of the east came together, and they crossed the Jordan and encamped in the valley of Jezreel. So they're coming. They're camping. They're about to come get the people of God. God, however, is working behind the scenes. The Amalekites, Midianites, they think, hey, it's time for our annual rating of those losers, those Jews. Let's go get them. And remember why they were raised up in the first place, why they were empowered to even do this. God. God raised them up. 
as punishment for his people, Israel, just like he said he would. He told them again and again and again in the word of God, if you obey me, I will open up the floodgates of heaven. I will bless you so much. You won't even be able to understand how much I'll bless you. However, if you disobey me, you can expect this, this, X, Y, and Z. And they said, far be it from us. We will obey. Now granted, that was the generations way before this. But had they done what they were supposed to do, passing along the word of God, they would have been fine. The people of Israel disobey yet again. And so God raises up a nation to come and invade them. And here they come. They're getting ready. And look in verse 34. I want you to notice how the Lord not only clothed Gideon to make him into a leader, the spirit of of God also moved in the midst of Gideon's own people group that they'd be willing to follow him. Look at verse 34. But the Spirit of the Lord clothed Gideon. It's interesting, the Bible doesn't always use that language. Clothing with the Spirit is kind of a unique um, wording here. I really love it, though. Enclothed him. You can imagine like putting on this beautiful shining robe around him. Uh, metaphorically, of course, because this is the Spirit who has no form that man can see. And he sounded the trumpet, and the Abizrites were called out to follow him. Now that's the people group that Gideon belongs to. And this is a direct result of Gideon's obedience. Will God bless and use those people who walk in blatant, disrespectful disobedience to him? Will he? And... You guys have heard me say this many times. However, I also know that our memories can be selective. Or if you're like me, you can just have something called a memory dump. Where it's just as if you've never heard the thing at all, ever. Ask my sweet wife about those things. She will let you know that I have memory dumps. And she usually starts the sentence with, Don't you remember? To which I answer, No. <laughs> Here's what I want to say to you. I'm not talking about obedience in perfection, but obedience in direction. You know that's what I mean. So my question is this. Will God bless and use those people who walk in disobedience to him? The answer is no. He's not going to bless and use people who walk in blatant, flagrant disobedience to him. Just as you wouldn't bless your children if they continue to walk in blatant, disrespectful disobedience to you again and again and again. They should not expect your blessing. (laughs) That's just normal logic 101. Remember how I began earlier saying that you you can expect men to berate you when you walk in obedience? I mean, when you, yes, when you walk in obedience to God, you can expect men to berate you. Now, here's the good part of the obedience. I talked about there's going to be a good and a bad. Here's the, that was the bad, here's the good. And the good part is you can expect God to bless you when you walk in obedience to him. You can expect men to berate you, but you can expect God to bless you. This reformation among the Abizrites, Gideon's own people group, is happening because Gideon took God at his word. Heard the word, believed the word, and then obeyed the word. That that was the progression. 
The angel of the Lord comes to him, says these things, says this is going to be true. Gideon believes it, and he acts in obedience to what was said. And that's why we're seeing this happen. Do you think the Lord would have clothed Gideon with the Spirit and moved in the hearts of all these people to follow him had he not obeyed? No, he would not have. God would have gotten someone else. Do you want the Lord? Look, look at me. This is a very important question. Do you want the Lord to pass over you? That frightens me. I think about my own disobedience, and I think about, I even pray sometimes, please don't, please don't pass over me. I don't want, I don't want you to use someone else. I don't want you to bless someone else. I want to be used by you. I want to be in the middle of your blessings. I want to come to the end of my life saying, I'm so thankful I followed the Lord. I'm so thankful I saw him use me and, and, and touch other people's lives through me. You know, that's what's going to matter if you make it to when you're old. I always just kind of assume I'm going to be old and laying in the hospital and that's where I'm going to die. It might not happen that way. There's a whole lot of people it does not happen that way for. There's a lot of people in hell today that would tell you, oh no, I did not expect to come here when I came here. I didn't expect, I didn't expect to come here at all but especially not that day. And a lot of people in heaven that would tell you the same thing too. I did not expect to come on that day. But I don't, I don't want to be passed over. I want God to bless me and I want God to use me. I want to be at the end and see that God used me and touched lives and was a con- I was a conduit through which his blessing could go to so many other people, especially my children, my dear wife. Don't you want that? You can't expect God to bless you. You can expect God to bless you when you walk in obedience to him and use you. And this reformation in his town was what's happening because Gideon believed and obeyed. Everyone wants God's blessing, but are you living a life that God can bless? Everyone wants God's blessing, but are you living a life that God can bless? Your level of obedience shows your level of love. Did you know that? It's often, often the case. And again, not perfection, direction. I mean, what's usually true about you, okay? That's what I'm talking about here. Cohen Ezel is not saying, I obey God perfectly. Not saying that. And I know some of you are thinking, Cohen, you make that point like almost every sermon. You know why? It's because that point was not made often enough when I was growing up in church. You kind of get this works mentality worked into your brain. Like, you got to be good. You got to be good enough. And I'm just trying to show you, no, <laughs> that's not what I'm talking about here. We have 1 John 1, 9 for a reason. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. You know why I should have that tattooed on me if I ever get... I'm not ever going to get a scripture tattooed on me, but that might be one of them. Because that's so important to know that you're going to mess up. So I'm not talking about perfection, but I am talking about direction. There should be a direction of obedience in your life. So your level of obedience shows your level of love. 
Obedience to God says a lot about what's really true about you. Let me show you this verse here. Let's put, I want to put John 3, 36 on the screen. We've all heard John 3, 16. Well, just 20 verses later, we get this one. John 3, 36. And I'm going somewhere with this, so just follow me. So let's just say, let's just say, if you don't already have this one memorized, if you do, then okay. If you don't, I want to talk about what you would fill that blank in with. Let me just read it to you. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not blank the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. Now just naturally looking at that, you see the first part, whoever believes in the Son has this. And the second part is, whoever does not blank the Son shall not see life. So whoever does this has this. Whoever doesn't do this won't have this. If you were just going to naturally fill that in with with what you think should go there, I'm just guessing that it just, you're kind of thinking, okay, well, it kind of makes sense. Whoever believes in the Son has life. So I'm just kind of thinking, whoever does not believe in the Son shall not see life. And that's not a stretch to think that that would be there. And maybe it is there. If you've not memorized this, you don't know, right? Some of you are looking up on your phone right now. You're cheating, I bet. But let's see what word is actually there. What word is actually there in that text? Show us the next slide. Would you have picked that? Would you have picked obey? Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life. See, naturally, we, we would probably put whoever does not believe in the Son shall not see life. And that's also true, though. But isn't it interesting that John used the word obey here? Do you know why he used the word obey? Because whether or not you obey Jesus shows whether or not you truly believe in Jesus. Show me a person who says, oh, I'm a Christian. I'm a follower of God and is living in direct disobedience to the word of God, and I'll show you someone who's deceived. I had this conversation with a young man just a few months ago. Two different times. One, when I was just hanging out with him. Another time, when he was in my car, give him a ride somewhere. And each time, I mean, this man, this young man was just living in blatant fornication, sex with his girlfriend, almost proud of it, And I was saying, you know what the Word of God says about that. It's very clear. It actually says in the book of Revelation, fornicators will not inherit the kingdom of God. You you know it says that, right? And he said, yeah, but I'm a Christian. And I said, but don't you see how that's sort of contradictory, right? I mean, you see, I said, you know the word Christian means Christ follower. It means to, to, to follow Christ, meaning like you believe he's important. You believe he should be obeyed and yet you're living in direct disobedience to him? And you think you're still a follower of him? Don't you see how that? That's kind of a contradiction, right? And he would never fully agree with me because I had him backed in a corner, and, and he knew it. You know, he wanted to always try to wiggle out. And he kept saying, oh, but I'm a Christian, I'm a Christian. I kept trying to say, but I think you're not, and I think that's the root of your problems because he had a host of problems. I was trying to convince him, if we don't address the real problem, which is the problem of your heart, then we're not going to see any of these other things correct themselves. 
And unfortunately, now, guess what? He's totally thrown Jesus to the curb, which is what I told you happens to all those who are believing in false gods. They will eventually throw Jesus away. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. That's how you know if you truly have Jesus Christ. That's how you know if you're truly his follower. You will want to obey, and it bothers you when you don't obey. It bothers you when you don't obey. That's how we know we have him. Gideon's obedience brought blessing. That's what we see. And I'm almost done, guys. Notice the blessing isn't just contained to Gideon's hometown any longer. Look at verse 35. He sent messengers throughout Manasseh, and they too were called out and followed him. He sent messengers to Asher, Zebulun, and Naphtali, and they all went up to meet him. These are different tribes of Israel. People, if you're wondering, if you didn't know, these are not just names of men, though they were names of men, but they're the men who started these tribes. So you've got the people groups that live in the valley of Jezreel, or near it, rather. You've got them also willing to follow Gideon. Some of them probably have never even met Gideon. And they're willing to follow him? Why? How? Short answer, God. God blessed him. God's moving. God's working because Gideon was obedient. These men aren't upset that Gideon pulled down idols. They're following because he built up an altar. These men that are following him, they're not the ones who are upset that he broke down idols. They're the ones that are happy that he Use that to build an altar to the one true God. Obey God at his word, and you'll see two things happen. Man will tear you down, and God will build you up. You'll see two things happen. Man will despise you, and God will deliver you. Man will berate you, and God will bless you. That's how you know you're doing it right. And Gideon is going to need God's blessing for what he's about to step into next, which we'll see next week. Bow with me. Lord, thank you for your word, and I pray for your encouragement and your enablement to obey it. Lord, encourage us to walk in the truth. Enable us to walk in the truth. Give us the backbone that we need to be able to stand against the attacks of man who will naturally come against us. Thankfully, thankfully, that doesn't happen every single time we walk in obedience, but we can surely expect it occasionally. And Lord, I pray that you would give your people a strong backbone to stand up against that truth and a strong memory of how faithful you are to your people who stand in obedience to you. Please, help us to walk like that. Help us to live like that. In Jesus' name, amen.